0: What's up? This is Maggie. Today on Build, Craig, one of our VPs of products here at Drift, is back, this time to talk about one of the most requested topics we've ever had, and that is how to hire a product manager. We get into what we look for in new and experienced PMs, how Craig's interviews have changed over time and what he's learned over the course of his career. We also talk about our favorite interview questions. So pro tip, if you're interested in interviewing at Drift, check this one out. It's going to be good for people who are interviewing PMs, who are trying to get a PM job. So take a listen. Hopefully this helps in your next interview. Craig, welcome to the show.
1: All right. It's You're nice back. to be back. I
0: know. And this is a topic that we have been talking about recording for a long time that I know a lot of listeners care about deeply. And that is what do we look for and what do people look for when they're hiring product managers? Yes, So I'm assuming you've hired many, many, many PMs over the years.
1: Yeah, I probably hired more engineers, to be honest, just because I spent the first half of my career in engineering. Just you tend to have more engineers than product managers, of course. Yeah, probably at least a few dozen.
0: Okay. So when you're hiring for a PM, just at the most basic level, what are you looking for?
1: Yeah, I think at the the basic level – so PM – if we start starting to like define the PM role, it's it's quite unique in that you, you don't have any direct reports typically. But however, you have to influence a lot of people. Not only do you have to influence the engineering team to build the thing that you think is the right thing to build, you have to influence the designer to think about the customer problem, but you also typically have to influence a, a whole slew of stakeholders, including customers. And so what you're looking for is somebody who's able to build a coalition to influence people and persuade people. And so when we're interviewing and, and when we're doing a little bit of background, look at people, we're, we're trying to really look for that core ability to influence. It's a, a little bit of that salesmanship, if you will, to, to get people on board.
0: Mm-hmm. What about things like how technical they are?
1: Yeah, I think technical with regards to like platform technology or like core engineering, I don't think that's quite as important. But Mm -hmm. I think technical with regards to systems thinking is important. So the ability to break down a problem, the ability to articulate their breakdown and kind of how they got there. Technical enough to look at data and and munge that together with the qualitative research that they've done. So like I think there's a lot of technicalities in being a product manager. They don't necessarily need to know how to code. Okay. I think in some cases it helps. Like if you're building a like an AI platform and like that was your team, it might help to be technical. (laughs) Like (laughs) actually have a degree in that. But for most cases, it's not necessary.
0: Okay. So then. I would imagine that the when you're hiring for a more entry-level role or someone who doesn't necessarily have to have product experience versus an experienced PM, we're looking for different things. Mm-hmm. So, for the APM or associate PM role, when someone comes in the door, what are you looking for?
1: I have this kind of mantra, if you will, or set of principles around hiring people into roles that I've just learned and kind of failed a couple times. And I always go back to this core principle, which is the person's attitude and their aptitude it always outweighs their experience. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it here, like some relatively junior people who have no experience in our domain or no experience in product management, who within like three to six months are just crushing it. Yeah, And we've also seen other folks who've, who've maybe came in with domain experience who've maybe struggled. I think oftentimes you can fall into this trap of either like, wow, they've been a PM on these three products, or they have this domain experience that we need. In most cases, whether they're an APM or even an experienced PM, I think that attitude and aptitude is, is oftentimes more important because they can. a lot of people can relearn things.
0: Mm-hmm. When you say aptitude, what does that mean?
1: It's basically the ability to learn. So we have a leadership principle here called a uh, curious learning machine, be a curious learning machine. Are these the type of people who are curious? Are they, are they reading books? Are they... Are they listening to podcasts around, are they, are they listening to your podcast, right? Are they nerding out on yeah. like the little details of why Instagram removed its likes count? Do they have this like hunger for, for kind of figuring out those things and the ability to kind of grow probably faster than the curve, if you will, right? So you're looking for some of those, those qualities that will, will prove to that they can grow faster than normal. I think that's what aptitude means for me.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I've been thinking about more and more as I do more interviews is that also looking for people, it's not that you have to be constantly nerding out about product decisions, but that they're paying attention to the world around them. Right. Because I think maybe you don't even know that you're doing a product thing, but at least if you're paying attention to and you're asking questions of the tools that you're using and not just assuming that things just are the way they are and you're sort of like moving through life without paying attention to it.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about some of the qualities of APMs that we look at, and I think just general curiosity of how things work. Mm-hmm. And so that can be, I had an APM, a person who'd never been a product manager ever. And back in my last company, I asked a question like, what's your favorite product and why? Usually you get the, oh, I like Instagram because it allows me to post photos or whatever. Yeah. And this person said, my favorite product's a bicycle. <laughs> And I said, why? And they kind of unpacked this like, like amazing thoughtfulness about like, fuel economy, uh, health benefits, commuter traffic. It was just Mm -hmm. like, it was just like super thoughtful. And I hired that person on the spot and they turned out to be amazing. Like, and talk about aptitude, I think they went from APM to, I think director in like three years. It's just incredible. Even around here, like if we're going out for coffee, to the coffee shop, I want to work with people who are thinking about how inefficient the coffee line is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, geez, why do they put the cash registers at that end? Or why do they, Tate, for example, down the street drives me nuts, their line that you always have to like bypass the line to pay for coffee if Ooh. you don't want pastries. Uh-huh. Most people don't want pastries there, right? <laughs> so why do they do that?
0: To make you walk by the pastries, to entice you I've by I've never bought smell. a pastry
1: there. I want the pastries, but I've never bought one. But I... like-
0: Every six months, I my will breaks and I buy one and yeah. then I regret it and it takes me another six months. And it's because and you it got like jammed up the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: those are the type of people that typically make good product people are the people who are are thinking about those things and that's that's not a lot of people yeah. out there. Most people don't even think about it; they just go along and and they're not curious about the the little things around them.
0: Yep. So then, what about when you're hiring for a role where you need someone with product experience? How does your evaluation change and what? more specifically do you look for?
1: Yeah, so results, right? So if somebody's been a product manager for a few years, at least one job, I wanna dig into the results. And that's not the end all be all, right? Sometimes there's really good people who are just in not great companies, or maybe they joined a pre-product market fit startup that just never got off the ground or has bad marketing or a whole bunch of other reasons. But results first, right? We want to see somebody who's had results. And if they don't have results, then you got to see a lot of output. They've gotten stuff done, right? They shipped this thing, they built this partnership with so and so, they got covered in TechCrunch, they whatever, or they got on Product Hunt, they did a whole bunch of posts and they got upvoted a thousand times. Like you want to see lots of outputs, whether or not they got the results. So start with results, then I think outputs. And I think if like you can't see evidence of that and they've been a product manager for a while, then you're really digging, right? You're really taking a leap of faith. Um, because time and time again, the people who are successful in product, and I think most jobs, quite frankly, but product especially, are the type of people who can build coalitions, roll up their sleeves, do the hard work, and get stuff done. DC has this saying, carry the water. And I mm-hmm. think that PMs, that's You've got to get in there and roll up your sleeves. Like we're doing goal setting right now. You and I are both like in the weeds with teams Definitely thinking is. about like the nuances of what KPI to choose and stuff, right? Yeah. And getting people on board and excited about it. So you just want to see that pattern of just productivity. Hopefully the results are there, but at least productivity.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I often find that, especially through doing this podcast, that PMs, can sometimes be really afraid of or hesitant to be accountable for the end result. I think it's really easy as a PM to say, well, I wrote my one pager. I wrote the spec. If you do that, we stuck to the timeline. But there's so many ways that you can have excuses. And I think there's so many ways to let that happen over and over and over again that you lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, you have to be accountable for results. And people, I think, can be a little bit like nervous to even say it's eventually I need a result.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons that in my career and I think at Drift generally we've shied away from like formal ceremonies like Agile and Scrum and stuff like that because as a product manager in in those you can kind of get caught up in the ceremony of yep. it and say like, oh, we're shipping every two weeks after the sprint and we did our five customer feedbacks, and then we did this and did that. And they go through the ceremony of it, and they're doing all the steps that they're supposed to do. But the thing that they're building, no one's using or no Mm -hmm. one cares about. And I think that's the only thing that really matters. Yeah. Of course, you need those inputs to do that. I'd rather, especially in early stages, have somebody who doesn't follow all the rules a little bit, but actually is scrappy and makes stuff happen.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so then... Let's say you have one of these amazing coalition-building PMs in the door. What are the interview questions you're willing to share? We don't want to give away all of our secret questions.
1: I don't mind, actually, because <laughs> you know we were, we were talking about this yeah. beforehand, and I think a lot of the people we've hired have actually listened to this podcast
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: or done their research, minimally, and said, oh, I listened to the podcast with you. They should you. definitely
0: listen to this episode.
1: I would hope so. <laughs> um, that would be a good... Let's start with like the outcomes we're looking for in the interview that I look for. So first off, we have a pretty systematized approach here, as you know, and it's mm-hmm. getting more systematic over time. But our interview process has a design a design leader, typically, or a senior designer who's interviewing for how product managers work with design. We have the product team who's really looking at their product craftsmanship, how do they break down work, how do they work with customers, things like that. We do an executive interview, which either you or I or or others typically do, which is looking for some different skills, the emotional intelligence and stuff like that. And then we have – we'll talk about this probably in a little bit, but we do the who, which is a specific format of collecting data. But particularly for me, since I traditionally do the executive interview, ultimately I'm looking for fit. And fit is not like culture fit and stuff like that. Fit means what is this person – Really great at, and what do they want to do over the next couple of years? And what do we have available? And can we make something available for this person? Oftentimes, you have to get creative and like reshape the team for like a truly exceptional person. So, we're looking for fit, right? Because the worst thing that would happen is the person comes in and they're doing something they really didn't want to do or whatever, and then you have to have that hard discussion. So, ultimately, that's it. So, to get it fit, I do a lot of discussion around kind of what their superpowers are. So what are they truly great at? So if they're at a company with five product managers, what is the thing they're better than everyone else, all those other four product managers at? Clearly. And that every one of those product managers would say they're better at, right? Like, so, so clearly better at. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, like, what is the thing they're just the worst at in the group, right? Like, what are they not like doing? And and I've actually been pretty proud of the team we've built here, we have kind of a mix. We have people who are like really great at presentations, we have people who are really good at customer research, and we have people who are really good at like rolling up their sleeves and getting work done. And you need a little bit of everything. You don't want this homogenous kind of uh, Mm -hmm. culture on product. You need people that are really great at different things. So that's what we're looking for there. And then also what I want to look for is examples of truly exceptional work whether or not it read the results that they wanted, but truly exceptional work. And that tells me a lot. And I have a couple of questions we got at around that. But it tells me what they think exceptional is, so what their standards are. Mm-hmm. It tells me what their emotional intelligence is, so are they braggy, do they have good character, right? Do they understand how they're perceived by others? And then it tells me like what their value system is, right? Like what they truly value. You know, it's amazing the when I dig around that, the, the answers we get to that. It's just the spectrum is, is incredible. At the end of the day, I'm making a fit assessment. Like, okay, is this person, like, is this the right time, right place for this person to be part of our company?
0: Mm-hmm. I remember when I got the superpower question, but yeah. I got it from DC. Oh, did you? Yeah. And I had no answer. I completely couldn't think of anything, had no idea. And I think I said something like, I don't know yet, but I hope I can find it here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was
0: just so, like so taken aback by it. And I was like, I don't want to sound arrogant. How do I answer this question? What do I do? What's the point of it? I was like all up in my head about it yeah. and just froze.
1: But that's okay, right? Because that showed DC. Obviously, you're here, right? So yeah. <laughs> that showed DC your emotional intelligence, right? You're really thinking about how you're perceived. You're you don't want to come off as arrogant, all those type of things, right? And probably as you like verbally thought out loud, thinking through that problem, he got a signal of who you were, and he probably had a sense of what your superpower was. Although but-
0: I do think looking back, my manager for two years, I don't remember what I said after that moment, but. I do think that now I can answer that question. Yeah, but I don't think I knew at the time really where I was. I think I had an indication of where my strengths were, but I didn't, hadn't had a chance to really focus in on them, so yeah. it hadn't really crystallized for me.
1: I think some of that is is that hiring is just a small part of it, right? And then yeah. it's like working with the team to develop them, and it's not always possible to have like the perfect, you know, the perfect job for somebody because we're growing startup, but. It's a manager's job and a leader's job to constantly look for opportunities where people can flex their superpowers yeah. and not get too worked up about their weaknesses. Just be aware of them, yeah, but not get too worked up over them.
0: How has your interview changed over time, and how has what you look for in PMs kind of changed over time?
1: So I've made a lot of mistakes hiring PMs, and I think most of those mistakes were because I trusted like kind of the feeling I got in the room with them rather than actually getting the data Mm. like truly understanding what they've done in past jobs and and stuff like that. And it just had a bad read. So what I've learned is to be more systematic about it. And this probably started at my last job, but really took the next level here, I think because our founders are very systematic about almost everything. So a couple things. One thing you must do, and we've even made this mistake, but we add it back in, is you got to have a practical part of the interview where you're actually – Ask them to go through, get to the whiteboard, tell you about something, break down a problem, tell us about work they've done in the past, whatever it is. You've got to do that part. And one of the ones we think is pretty helpful is like, what's a product you use every day? I think you've really helped craft this, which is product you use every day. You know what's great about it. What would you improve about it? Why haven't the PMs done that? Things like that. Just really thinking about how they think about products and problems. Mm-hmm. So. Practical part of the interview, definitely. I think a lot of people can get an interview and make a great impression, especially if they're personable and they have a good EQ. But what you really want to dig in is collect data on what they've done in past jobs. And we use, like I said, that WHO method for that. I got kind of an abridged version of that, which allows us to collect data. Like, so tell me about why you took this first job and like, who was your boss? Yeah, and the WHO is basically like a
0: walkthrough yeah. of their career.
1: Yes, essentially. And there's a couple key things in it that you do. It's a data collection. So they can tell you their superpower is something. But by doing the who, you can actually see if that was their superpower over and over again, right? And they can tell you that they shipped this product, or they were responsible for a half a million users. But by doing the who, you can actually find out if they were the ones who did it, or there are other people who actually did it and they're taking credit for it, right? So we could talk about the who separately if you want, but I think the net is just more systematic, more data collection. I think it's still important to have like gut instincts, but Mm -hmm. like try to balance that with true data.
0: One thing that I used to think was really important when evaluating a PM was focusing so much on skills. Yeah. So really trying to say, okay, are they analytical? How are they able to project manage almost and like break down work, like digging into the skill sets of PMs. And I think what's changed for me over time is that those things are teachable or you can learn them, but the things you can't learn are the things I'd rather focus on. Like EQ, like you mentioned, I think also for me, storytelling has become so important to us here. And how does the person describe the problem that they're working on. Yep. I think it's always, now that I know how important that is for coalition building and building support cross-functionally, when someone can't even describe the problem that they're solving in a succinct manner, right. to me, that's a really big red flag. Because if you can't even do that when you've been prepping for an interview, how are you going to get up on a whiteboard, like you're saying, and kind of succinctly describe a problem kind of off the cuff and get people excited?
1: And we here present a lot. Yeah. We present often, so every two weeks our product managers, we do a, a biweekly product review where the product managers kind of have to give a kind of an update on what they're working on, how their goals are, any insights that they've had and learnings and, and other stuff they're working on in the future. You can learn that if you have the raw skills on how to like do that, but you do need to have the raw skills of being mm-hmm. able to like articulate the basics.
0: Yeah, and there's almost an aspect of presence that I think you need to have. And that's the thing I struggle with is how do you, and that's what I think what's really interesting is what you're talking about in terms of the gut feeling you get around someone versus the data that you're collecting. And there's this, this like charisma that I think some really great PMs have, and it shows up in different ways and the different PMs, like even the PMs we have here, everyone is super different, but everyone has kind of that spark and they're able to hold the room. And that's something that I'm trying to get better at understanding when someone's interviewing is do they have that thing that's going to, help them. The like,
1: it factor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's something to that, right? Like people have to wanna be around you because they don't work for you. Right, right? yeah. <laughs> so they have to wanna listen to you, whether it's at the whiteboard or maybe in a video or, or in a presentation. So I definitely agree, there, there's gotta be something there.
0: Yeah, what's the best product interview you've ever been in, done, seen? Do you have one, obviously there's the bicycle question.
1: The bike one blew me away just yeah. because I was like, I was expecting Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one that really changed the way I think about interviews was I, uh, as part of coming to, you know, trying to figure out from last job before I came to the Drift, I, I, you know, obviously looked around and looked what the mark was at. And I, I had a pretty senior product opportunity at, at Amazon mm-hmm. that I was interviewing for and It was just really interesting how systematic it was. And, like, for example, I started off the interview for 45 minutes with all the – basically the executive team that I would have worked for and worked with. And I had to present about Craig. That was literally like, just tell us about you. And it was like, well, what are the guardrails? Like, what do you want to – they're like, just 45 minutes. I'm like, okay. So I had to make a presentation about me. And I think that that got – like, I, I, I've unpacked that and thought about, like, why did they do that? A, it's very efficient, right? The people aren't asking the same questions over and over again. But also, it it's like what we said. Like, do you mm-hmm. command a room? Do you have charisma? Can you, like, unpack your, your career in, like, a methodical way that helps them understand where you came from, understand your values? It basically hits on all the things I said. And I've thought about doing it here, but it's it's a pretty – I don't know. They're Amazon. They can do that. Yeah. I don't know if I want to come off as the type of people who's like, prepare this huge presentation before you come in, right? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I something... think that's
0: problematic for people who have different personal lives and it's like hard to have. Yeah. Media.
1: I mean, I worked on it. It was a good like eight to 10 hour yeah. job of like crafting this this presentation, if you will. So that was pretty cool. And then and then when I went through each of the interviews with the different, um, like the head of design and the head of engineering and, and et cetera not only did they understand how I worked with their discipline, but they were keying in on one or more Amazon leadership principles, and I could tell, and I that mm. was like the advice I got from other Amazon people. They were like, make sure you understand all the leadership principles. Read them over and over again. Like, literally, you should be able to recite every single one of them. And so I was able to spot, like, oh, this person's, one of them is, is like, leaders are typically right, I think, right, or typically Oh, yeah, often, like right
0: most of the time, or something, Yeah, like, yeah. often
1: right about yeah. their decisions, and so, yeah, I could hone in on that. And I think that that's one of the things we've adopted here. So each of our interviewers has uh, one or more leadership principles that they're keying in on and are trying to get data on. That was really good. What was really neat about it, too, was just the experience of it. So it didn't feel like a hard, like a hard interview where it's going person to person to person. Like in between interviews, they would get me for 15 minutes and take me on a little tour. And then I'd have lunch with like the team. And, you know, so it was just like, and then I actually had like drinks and dinner afterwards with some parts of the team. And I just felt it was like this really well architected experience. Whether I got the offer or not, I was going to leave being a fan of the company. Yeah. And I think, you know, as best as we can, we take, we take some of those principles here and some of those practices to, to help create a great experience. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty special, I think.
0: It's funny. I interviewed, full disclosure, I interviewed at Amazon after business school and had a yeah. dissimilar experience. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. I you know it was one of those things where I I passed the first round and then they sent me an invite for the second round at like two in the morning oh, and it was wow. for eight a.m. the next day and oh, I because I didn't get it I assumed I wouldn't you know it's just one of those things I did not get the job
1: <laughs> I <laughs> that, will say for the record <laughs> that is uh, that doesn't sound like the same I mean yeah. I think it's such a big company obviously it yeah. depends on the leadership
0: well they, they did the something that was interesting that I've thought about here when we thought when we were talking about doing some sort of practical question about. Getting at how someone thinks in in the room and not just talking about their experience, but sort of getting at their skills and how they react to a question. They did more of a, and this is probably because I was coming out of business school, but they did more of like a consulting case interview that included, you know, market sizing and like math. But they did it two on one and they were both, I vividly remember they were both typing on their computers while I was talking and I was just totally thrown for a loop and I, I got the a uh, couple of zeros wrong on some math I and mean, yeah. yeah, it was a whole.
1: I am not a fan of, uh, I'm not a fan of a couple of interview styles. One is the hypotheticals. Like, what would you do in this situation? Yeah. I just think that we've seen, you know, read any books on psychology and biases. People are very unable to predict what they do in a certain situation. So I found that that's a, they're a waste of time questions, quite frankly. The second thing is, is I hate i hate the puzzle interviews. I yeah. interviewed at Microsoft like 10 years ago, 12, 15 years ago. And I had eight hours of interviews and every hour was a different puzzle. Mm. It was like Minesweeper. Of <laughs> a million by million minesweeper, how do you make it efficient? Was, it was that a more product of, job? It was more of an engineer. It was it was an engineering leadership job, was okay. a director job. Okay. But every single interview was just like puzzle that I had to do, and it was just obnoxious. I, I was so exhausted, and I don't think they actually understood who I was. It was just like, was I this crafty puzzle solver type? I actually did fairly well on it, but I, I had such a negative feeling after that it just, I I just don't love those type of interviews. I'd I'd rather, you know, they should feel a little bit like a discussion, right? Yeah. A discussion, but it it is a little bit one-sided in that I'm trying to collect data from the person. So if they're rambling off on this long thing, it's okay. I'll cut them off. I'll say, okay, that's great. Let's move on to the next thing. It shouldn't feel like this, um, you know, like I'm solving a video game for eight hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's taken me a long time to understand that it's also the candidate's chance to evaluate the company. I always feel like, it's entirely the company that's getting information, and like as a candidate, yeah. you have to do everything you can to make them happy with you. but it's also it really is a chance for you to understand what are they like? What do they want to know about yeah. or, what, are, how or is, what would it be like to work with them?
1: Actually, that's a really great point. Like I we, I think we all do this, but I definitely try to leave five or ten minutes at the end to, for them to ask questions. Oh, yeah, after I've kind of collected the things I want to do. but that tells you a lot. That tells you, did they listen to this podcast? Did they research? <laughs> did they go on the web? Did they try to build a bot? Did they sign up for a free product? Yep. Did they understand the market? How curious are they? Mm-hmm. And that's not always a great tell Sometimes you're the last per- There's been people we've hired where I was the last person to go, and they had no questions. And we hired them, and they turned out great. And it was just because they had asked 50 questions already. Yeah. So it's not a perfect litmus test, but I think it is something that you got to pay attention to if they don't have any questions and they're just like taking a flyer saying, oh man, I don't know. I'll just see if this works. Yeah. But you know, it's a good sense of like what the fit might be.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I have one last question and this, this really comes from my, so when I graduated undergrad, I interviewed at five companies and got zero jobs so, I have some really? deep stress <laughs> around interviewing. But, look, it turns out okay, if you don't get any jobs, maybe one day you'll get one. But I want to know what are some resources for people who are trying to interview, trying to get an interview? What's your advice, books, podcasts, things that they can do?
1: Okay. so on the candidate side, if you're interviewing at one of the big companies, the you know the Amazon, Googles, and Microsofts, and those type of companies, all their interview questions are generally on the web somewhere. Yeah. so you can you can prepare. And understand Quora is a good resource for that. Sometimes Glassdoor might have interview questions on it. I think, quite frankly, the best resource is is like your resume and like editing. Like just, just go through and do a couple editing passes at your own resume and distill it down to the things that actually matter. I don't spend a lot of time on people's resume, but if there's a bunch of bullet points in there, like – that are very tactical. That tells me a little bit about them. Versus like, drove three million in new business. You know, uh, launched a product to 10,000 new users in the first three months. That shows me they're a little bit more outcome focused. But really understand your own story. Understand kind of what you want in your next job. That should be the easiest question you Like, what are you looking for in the next job? What are the three most important things? You should be able to rattle them off, right? YouTube videos are typically great too for understanding how to like articulate you know, you can r- watch some YouTube videos on, like, product product managers giving presentations, maybe at conferences, and, like, tells you how to distill and articulate the information. But really understand your story, what you want, what you're really great at, what you're not great at. I don't want to hear the, I'm not great at working too hard, you know. <laughs> that, that We don't hear that. Like, really, truly understand that. And then I think on the other side, if you want to get more systematic at interviewing, the one book that we've used the most is this, the book The Who, The Who Interview. And that just gives a couple things like, you know, write down your scorecard on how you're judging the candidates so other people can see, collect the data from all their jobs and their transitions between jobs. And there's a really cool thing in there called the threat of reference check. You know what that is?
0: Mm-mm.
1: I, don't know I, think, I, that. I
0: think we've talked about it, but
1: yeah, so for the listeners. So it's like, so who, you know, at that company, Maggie, who was your boss? And you tell me your, your manager's name. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, so, oh, when I call Sally, what are they going to say about you? And that is like this moment. And it's really important how you word it. When I call, it's not if I called, it's when I call. People.
0: Immediately start sweating.
1: Immediately start <laughs> like panic. It's like a panic yeah. trigger. You'll be surprised at the answers you'll get from that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. That's a good book for for the kind of the interviewer side if you want to get more systematic. But yeah, on the interview side, know yourself, know what you're looking for. Know the company, do some research. Yep. I mean, look at their last product launch. Play with their product. If they have a free product and you haven't used it, that's not great. Yeah. Right. So,
0: yeah. If they're public, read their 10K. I used to do that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And
0: there's so much gold in there. You um, can even
1: listen to the last earnings report yeah. and hear what the CEO is saying about their products and yep. what's next and stuff.
0: Yep. Yeah, and I think one other thing that we started doing recently is we ha- now have in our scorecards that we fill out after an interview uh, a question where we we fill out what potential biases we have with the candidate. Yeah. And I think that's been huge for me because it forces all of us to reflect on what unconscious biases might we have, like how might this person be interacting with our past, how are we evaluating them in context, and that's been really helpful. Just even with candidates, they're ex- exactly the same as me to think about how I view other yeah. people, and that's really changed the way I've been thinking about candidates too.
1: Yeah, now I— I saw that in, in our scorecard, we used greenhouse and it had in there, it said, what are the biases? And we had some unconscious bias training, which was really great to make you aware of these things. And at first I was like, oh, what's this for? But as we started using it and, mm-hmm. and putting it part of our practice, it actually changed some of the higher, no higher decisions I made. I was like, oh, geez, I was so biased by the fact that we talked for 10 minutes about whatever something that we both had a connection about and i got like sucked into that kind of discussion and i actually the data i collected was pretty bad actually (laughs) like it wasn't great yeah
0: because we pair that with another thing about not culture fit but culture add so how would this person add to the culture we have adrift and i think when you have both of those questions that you fill out for every single interviewee then you force yourself to think about how can we bring in more people to do to like help us diversify the company that we have
1: yeah that that has been something that we've worked really, really hard at is diversity and not just diversity in in gender, race and things like that, but diversity of background, um jobs they've had in the past, diversity of skills and superpowers and And I think that you know we're getting pretty systematic. It is hard though, it is hard like we had one week two, three weeks ago where I think we had like eight candidates in, and we made no hires from that mm-hmm. group of eight, yeah. And you feel like, what the heck? Like, what are we doing wrong here? But the reality is, is, you know, we want to hire great people. And, you know, if that takes a little bit longer and, and both of us have done it, I'm doing it right now. We'll be, we'll, sometimes you have to be an acting PM on the team as a leader yeah. and like do the job and like feel the pain. And, and I'm willing to do that job for a little while just to find the right person. Cause it is painful when you have a poor fit. Yeah. If you have to move on.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for giving us your wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. And this everyone, hopefully, the next candidates will have listened to this episode.
1: Yes. I expect you to uh, understand your superpowers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't be, be me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks.